Yeah, well, the fans love the movie him. The Water Boy too, but that doesn't mean that you should make f- Bobby Boucher your coach. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve. It's a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to go over our quick season preview for these Georgia Bulldogs. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, the real statsy goodness of everything, Nathan, do you want to talk a little bit about what we've seen this last weekend? Because usually, you know, for those of you who haven't maybe been Chapel Bell Curve listeners, we typically do a review of the past weekend, and we do a preview of the following weekend, which you'll get to see in full force in a couple weeks from now. But all we have to go off of right now is the stats we have from last year, and then our eye test from the last two scrimmages. So we do have a lot of news to talk about, so we can kind of go through all that. Yeah, like, I mean, I think we have some news. We have some new stuff that we could talk about. Um, So 2022, we just confirmed that we have a uh, neutral site game with Oregon, which, you know, is not That's that. Cute. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's not that interesting to me because it should be a home and home one. Yeah, and yeah, two, yeah. all of these games get scheduled so far out. It's like, okay, cool. Like that'll be cool after this season or whatever, or after next season. You know, we had this since the last time we've talked, we had the Zamir White injury. That's like a real, real gut punch. I mean, I, I don't think on the field, I don't know how much of a gut punch it'll be, but I mean, I do think from by all accounts he's a great kid and you know he's really coming from uh, a pretty impoverished area i can't speak to like his personal family situation but i know that he comes from a place where there's not a lot of money and i know that this is like a really good way out for him and he's got a lot of talent and so um it just sucks you know he he tore the acl and his non-injured acl so he'll are he'll be running on two repaired acls real uh next year you know, he is a physical freak of nature. It sounds like that he's like, you know, got the right mindset to do, you know, good rehab, but you just hope that he comes back just as strong next year and you just, you know, thoughts and prayers and all that business, which I know thoughts and prayers has become like a hackneyed thing, but I mean that sincerely. Like I do, I do wish, wish him nothing but the best going forward. Yeah, it's, it really sucks because it was first his right knee and now his left knee. You know, he came back so fast from one knee injury that, you know, just to get another one and, in a situation like that, a non-contact injury, it can be, I imagine, really demeaning. And so I can't imagine what he's going through. So Yeah, I mean, the frustration of it. And when you hear non-contact injury, that's it, almost always bad, just because that means something structurally gave, usually, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it sucks. But, you know, he's going to be on this team. He's going to be contributing. Uh, everything I understand is that, and I, I can't speak to this, obviously, I'm not a... Um, health sciences person obviously but uh everything i understand is that uga has one of the better training um and rehab departments for the whole athletic department in the whole nation uh, i know head uh the head football trainer ron corson i think he's actually just the head athletic trainer is considered to be one of the best in the world so i have nothing but confidence that if he can come back he will I, you know you just hope that he uh, maintains the right mindset and can just work through what i'm sure is a very very frustrating time yeah and the best part about this is that he doesn't necessarily have like a deadline like he did coming into spring training. He really wanted to start the season and everything, but now that he has a medical red shirt, it's just done until next fall or next yeah. summer, you know. So he has plenty of time to get get better. Godspeed, etc., this and that. But what's really cool about that with that medical red shirt is that we'll see a lot of him probably 
as soon as next year, of course. But, you know, we could see in true, like, running back 1A, 1B. He and Swift together, sort of uh, Sonny Michel, or even he and uh, Dalvin Cook, or James Cook, James rather. Cook, da- yeah. Dalvin Cook's I am brother. excited to hear about James Cook. Everyone's talking about how cool and quick and fast and how unique James Cook is. I don't remember, it was, it was somebody on the defense that was talking about just how unique James Cook's game is. Like, it's it's different than just running up the middle or running through guys or breaking tackles and or, you know, Sonny Michel's like joystick kind of mentality I, he didn't have a lot of details to explain but i just remember reading something recently about how yeah i saw that different he is um i you know i think he he is definitely a um he's definitely a burner i mean he's fast he's big he catches the ball he used to run with the wide receivers i think we talked about that i'm very excited about him this year because i think that there's going to be a bigger burden on the rest of the water uh the rest of the running backs obviously now that we've got sort of the sad news out of the way let's let's start talking through our preview here yeah. Um, did so, you want to talk about Mark Richt before we get into this? I'm sorry. I don't remember what I was going to say about Mark Richt now. I, I was kind of talking about, you know, I was going through a, uh, what was it? I was going through an article about Mark Richt down in uh, Miami. And he was, oh, yeah, the like, athletics just, article. Yeah, just reading from The Athletic, and he was talking about how to make a sandwich and this and yeah, that, yeah, and just yeah. how methodical Mark Richt is. And while I really appreciate Mark Richt, and I'm, I'm really happy for him, I'm really, I'm way more excited about football now than I was in the Mark Richt era by the end of it. I'm more excited about it now than I've ever been, is, yeah. is all yeah, I'm trying I mean, to say. You know, sort of the zeitgeist... Oh God, I, I use that word too much. Um, I don't <laughs> want it to be... Apparently, waiting since last Saturday has this thing that's like, people think they they say, what is it, not for nothing too much, which I never heard that when listening to them, but whatever. Um, but I guess our version of that is zeitgeist. So I do think that sort of the current zeitgeist uh, is to part of the reason it's so positive isn't just because of all the success and the recruiting success and the on-field success, but also just because um, Kirby is sort of like, in many ways, the antithesis of Mark Richt Mm -hmm. style-wise. Even though I'm sure Kirby is like also a super good person and whatever. um, I'm not dismissing the value of that. I'm just saying I'm sure that he, you know, morally is a very good person. But um, Kirby definitely is sort of a min-maxer. If you want to use like a, a nerd term, Kirby's the kind of guy whose Dungeons and Dragons character is always like way better than everybody else's at the table because he just sat down and spent eight hours making it. Um, <laughs> and who will just be like, well, actually, uh, this is how you roll it and like check the DM's roll knowledge and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, you know, for all of the good things about uh, Mark Richt, he, he definitely was a details oriented guy. And that's what kind of what that piece was about. But he definitely was not a guy who was looking to just get every tiny little inch of advantage. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and it's kind of weird because like I applaud Kirby from this in the sort of football sense, but you know, there's also a sense in Mark Rick's program. And they mentioned it in that article you were talking about that, you know, uh, your first your most important job is your family. And this your second most important job is your, is your job. And I'm not sure that that's the case at UGA right now, which is no. something that uh, is pretty admirable from like sort of a football standpoint, but also something that I, <laughs> You know, I can't necessarily endorse that as uh, someone with a family. But yeah, I mean, that we don't have to really go into it too much. It is a very good article. It's on The Athletic, which also, like, we're not getting paid for this or whatever, but The Athletic is just super great, man. Yeah, so for good. real. So now that good. I, yeah, I have time now to read sports articles, and The Athletic is my sports article source of choice, and it's been fantastic. Uh, of course, there's always SB Nation and everything, but yeah, it's been super great to go through, and it was a super cheap subscription there. And you get yeah. a lot of Seth Emerson stuff. And everybody yeah. likes him. So let's talk about the second scrimmage. Let's talk about the news we're hearing. Um, I think this will be a good way to uh, sort of segue ourselves into 
talking about our preview and talking about S&P Plus um, and the five factors and all that. So let's let's talk about So last week we had a scrimmage. My understanding, like big picture, is that they tried to throw the ball a lot. You know, I think there was a little bit of Kirby sort of, not poor mouthing, but Kirby questioning the performance of the two quarterbacks. I'm not sure how much I can credence I can put to that because like when the defense knows that you're going to throw the ball 35 times, like their job gets a lot easier. So what, what have you heard from the scrimmage that you thought was of note or just things that you think are worth talking about? A lot of questions that people bring up right now talking about this team is of course the quarterbacks which i'm i'm not i don't care so much about the quarterbacks right now because i feel like we're taking care of either way we go but um we lost a a lot of power in the inside linebacker position so i thought that was a lot of fun to look at but it's looking really good what i was understanding is um we got a lot of players that are all vying for position right now and trying to start in those two spots but you know just about any way you you swing it you got a lot of people who can just kind of slot into those those spots and it's going to be more or less the same no matter who's in that position which is what i'm i'm kind of gleaning from the limited information we're getting from the second scrimmage i know you talked about monty rice a lot you're pretty excited to watch him he's not you know going to fill your roquan sized hole in your heart or anything but no, i think never. he's going to uh, <laughs> he's going to help a little bit in that situation and i think natris or natris patrick is really coming back with uh, in a way a chip on his shoulder and he feels like he has something to prove because that's, that's kind of how he's playing from what i understand and i'm excited to see him next weekend i think that the inside linebacker spot is one that really there's a lot of thoughts about i my understanding is that jawan taylor is actually one of the going to be one of the starters it might be jawan taylor natrice patrick instead of monty rice and take crowder looks like the fourth man and our take Crowder and monty rice are the fourth man but then also you hear that like channing tyndall who is sort of like if there is a body that is if there's this talent set that is the closest to beautiful boy Roquan Smith <laughs> then it's uh Channing Tindall you know he's also a freshman and even Roquan Smith was not excellent in his first year so um it's gonna be interesting Jawan Taylor's kind of an unheard of name he was one of those dudes who was one of the last in one of the last Mark Rick classes who's just sort of flown under the radar so I mean he has the frame and the body and sort of the pedigree to be a great uh inside linebacker we just haven't heard about him Tay Crowder is a former four-star running back who really got lost in the shovel of all the good running backs and switched over. Yeah. He's a tick is a big dude in person. I have seen him. I've met him in person a couple of times and he's, he's just a big old dude. It, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I watched some, I watched the Rose bowl last week and <laughs> I, I just because Your weekly Rose bowl watch. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed and for all the uh, salivating that we did over Roquan Smith, this is something that it really struck me about this year is that one of Roquan's greatest talents was, affecting the play when he wasn't supposed to which is something you hear a lot in football but i think what that functionally means is that one of roquan's biggest talents was if someone did something wrong he would clean it up yeah so i i think you can't replace the roquan and i think we take a safe back trying to replace him but i also think that if you we are more consistent and like you know from one to 11 in the defense that the drop off might be slightly less than people think um, there is going to be a drop off, but I, I'm not sure that it's going to be huge. I think the other thing, uh, the other kind of defensive takeaway from the second scrimmage was uh, CB2. DeAndre Baker is obviously locked in. Coming into the spring, probably like the two, the two odds on favorites to do to be CB2 were Devod Wilson and Tyreek McKee, and both of them have injuries. So it's going to be interesting to see who is the second person there. Mark Webb is con- a converted four-star wide receiver who he not really converted. He played both ways in high school, um, who went to school and it didn't go to school to with but is related to swift and like cousins i think they both went to school in philadelphia and he is very very good um was rated four stars as a a wide receiver but also probably like a four-star level defensive back like big tall guy exactly what mel tucker wants then you have tyson campbell who is the like all everything five-star freshman um and eric stokes who was a four was a 
I think three or four star recruit two years ago or last year, who was one of the glut of like, we, we had like seven defensive backs come in who has kind of gotten lost to the shuffle until the last few days of practice reports and the, the second scrimmage. And it sounds like, you know, that's, he's doing really well. So it's going to be interesting to see if you go with Tyson uh, Campbell, who is like sort of the highest, probably the highest upside guy, just from his pedigree and where he's rated as a recruit and just his skill set. He's like six, two, just a little bit under 195 pounds runs you know he's got world-class track speed um or if they go with a guy that maybe is going to be a little more steady uh, mark webb i think definitely would do that mark webb has been running with the first and second team second cb basically the whole the whole process starting in the spring um i'm interested to see who takes that first snap obviously you're going to rotate but i think you know with cornerback cornerback is a very technical position and it's mm-hmm. a kind of position where you want to know who your guys are, even though you're going to play in nickel and dime a lot of times. You do want to know who do you have two guys who can cover their two guys, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so inside li- linebacker and cornerback are places where lots of questions, but also lots of talent. So it's just going to be interesting to see, especially in the first game, what those lineup cards look like. I think the last and sort of uh, not super, there's not a lot of super suspense about this one, but I think another very interesting position on this team is offensive line. You know, uh, Isaiah Wilson seems to have, like, locked down the starting right tackle spot. So I think there are four spots pretty much locked in. Um, So from left to right, it is – I'm almost certain it's going to be uh, Andrew Thomas, Ben Cleveland at guard, Lamont Galliard at center, and then right right tackle would be uh, Wilson, Isaiah Wilson. It's in question as to who the right guard is going to be. Kendall Baker is a four-year guy who is one of these dudes who, like, plays like a real technical uh kind of ball but maybe his like off his like sort of physical skill set isn't quite as much as some of these uh some of the backups behind him but Mm -hmm. just has a lot of experience um but he has been switching out reps with a bunch of different people um i think part of the reason he might lose his uh, starting spot is that he's also the sixth man right now where he's the guy who he's the first man in no matter who gets hurt um so it could be that that ends up being kendall baker starting game one it also could be that that ends up being somebody like cade mays cade mays or owen condon has practiced there a little bit it's also solomon kinley we've seen a little bit of solomon kinley we've seen a little bit of uh jamari sawyer and justin schaefer justin jamari sawyer has actually been taking reps at center backup center but lamont galliard lamont galliard is sort of the center the literal center the heart of this um offensive line with all of his experience and just the fact that he's like sort of an all american level player i'm interested to see how that too deep looks because you know we are going to rotate we're going to bring guys in and so if you have you want all five of your offensive line to be people you trust on any snap because you never know what snap's going to be critical so that's kind of interesting to me i think wide receiver we don't have this written down but i think wide receiver is super interesting as well we do actually have this written down further down Ha-ha! oh, do we? oh yeah. look at that okay well we'll we see why don't we save wide receiver until uh, we start talking about efficiency and the five yeah, factors? Because yeah, yeah. that'll um, really tie into it. I think we've pretty much talked about all the breakout players we have right down here. So let's, uh, do you want to get into five factors real quick? Sure. Let's talk about the five factors. The five factors that go into S&P Plus. What are the yeah. five factors? Okay. So uh, if you're new here, which you may be, because this is kind of a good place to start. So this is a stats focused podcast. One of the main things we do here is we steal the S&P Plus um we still the s&p plus numbers now yes. I, would, I don't know if i would go so far as to say, to say steal because we are obviously using them with attribution and we talk about how much we love bill Connolly, like every mm-hmm. every freaking chance we get so um we use a lot of the s&p plus system which is a proprietary system put together by s uh, bill Connolly at sb nation he's also a missouri fan 
Um, seems like a very nice guy. I don't know that. I'm just saying he does. Um, so anyway, the S&P Plus, the core of it, um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Uh, you've got like recruiting rankings, five and two and five-year recruiting rankings. But sort of the core of the system is these five factors, which are just basically like five previous, like five vectors you can use with previous games to predict future games. So basically, um, and this is directly from he has an advanced stats glossary he published in 2015, which. You know, these numbers might be slightly tweaked, but I think they're still pretty accurate. So if you win the explosiveness battle using points per uh, isolated points per play, uh, you win 86% of the time. And I'm going to under I'm going to explain all these smaller stats in a second. If you win the efficiency battle, which is success rate, you win 83% of the time. If you win the drive finishing battle, which is points per trip inside the 40, you win 75% of the time. And if you win the field position battle, which is the average starting field position, you win 72% of the time. And if you win the turnover battle, with turnover margin, you win 73% of the time. So basically, if you take a conglomerate of explosiveness, efficiency, drive, finishing, field position, and turnover, you end up with the five factors. So each of mm -hmm. those factors has a, a stat attached to them. Um, and basically, through some math wizardry that I don't understand at all or very well, he takes those factors, influences them in with recruiting ranking, which gives you sort of the aggregate talent of a team. And then you get sort of a balanced look at not only how talented a team is, but how good they are functioning as a team. Those five stats that, that tie in with those five factors are going to be really important. And that's something we're going to talk about a lot. So explosiveness is basically how good are you, how good are you at big chunk plays. So we use this thing called ISO PPP, which is points per play, which is basically how many points, quote unquote, are you contributing each time you snap the ball on offense, right? So like as an example, if you throw a touchdown, right, technically that touchdown has six points per that play, right? Well, if you take however many points you played on offense, you divide it out by however many points you scored, you get how many points you score per play, which is like how big of chunk you get. Efficiency is success rate. So there's uh, passing success rate, uh, rushing success rate and overall success rate. And basically it's just like, how good are you at staying in front of the chains? Which means like, how good are you getting, at getting four yards on first down or three to four yards on first down, three to four yards on second down, two to three yards on third down. Basically like, are you putting yourself in third and long situations on the offense? Um, and you can see, you can actually reverse both ISO PPP and success rate and look at it defensively. Like how many big plays are you getting up? How many um, successful like, you know, on drive, on time um, plays you're giving up. Uh, you can also do that for the defense. Drive finishing battle, which is points per trip inside the 40, is basically just that, like, just what it says, points per trip inside the 40. So, uh, you know, every time you hit the 40, which is sort of like the sort of stats, the new stats nerd way to define the red zone, they call it the green zone or the maroon zone or whatever. How likely are you to score at all? And if you do score, what are you going to score? Are you going to score a touchdown or a field goal? Field position battle is just what it sounds like your average starting field position and the turnover battle is turnover margin. I'm assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you know football well enough to know what those two things are. So basically S and P plus we'll be breaking that down um, pretty much every week. Uh, Austin P the first week might not be that stats heavy because these numbers aren't going to be like incredibly different, but um, I think until about week three, S and P plus uses a lot of projection and the projection, yeah. the projection tails off all the way through week seven. So these first two or three weeks, there was going to be movement, but not a, a huge amount of, movement. you know, it also skewed the, the stats will kind of be skewed uh, when we go into games that we're projected to win handily. And so these first three games will be really interesting. But if we look just at the South Carolina game following that game, we might be able to see a better snapshot of what we can expect from this team. Yeah. And so. What S&P Plus does, and this is, um, this is, I know I'm talking a lot about numbers, but hey, that's why you're here. What S&P Plus does is 
you can basically look at again through math wizardry that i don't understand you can look at the two the s p plus ratings on both sides for both teams compare them and you can get what a point differential so like a projected margin of victory okay so when we say projected margin and we say win probability, that's sort of what we're talking about is that you take the two sets of S&P plus numbers, you put them against each other and you get a projected margin of victory. Now, what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna go through the S&P plus numbers projected for UGA. We're gonna talk about what they mean on both sides of the ball. And we're gonna kind of just like, I think um, just sort of get into the nitty gritty of predicting the season based on based on what S&P plus says, S&P plus says. And I think we're also going to do some comparison between what we did last week, where we talked about just what our gut instinct was. I think we both had 11 and one. I think you said and, 10 and two. Did you not? I don't know. Uh, no, I said 11 and one. Okay. I know you said 11 and one. So we both said 11 and one. We're going to see if that changes at all. Yeah. So that's where we're going to start here. So, you know, everything you were talking about earlier is that the first three weeks is, is mostly projection and then speculation based off of, you know, last year's last few games and returning production and through math wizardry, which we will probably say a bunch, in, you know, in these first few episodes, you come up with these stats to kind of predict how these games are going to go. For instance, with our offensive ranking, our projected offensive rank right now is seventh. Our overall projected S&P plus ranking is sixth, which will end up taking the offense, the defense, and the special teams, which you'll see through all these numbers um, over time that our special teams is really where we shine. And it is a lot of times kind of the uh, kind of pivotal piece in this whole thing. Yeah, that's all we have this year. So yeah, that's, that's really all I got. So, right I mean, now, he's got us projected seventh in the nation offensively. Um, we've got about 65% of our reps coming back. And those are actually like uh, yardage measures, like the, pr- mm-hmm. the returning, it's returning production. It's not like starters you have returning. Yeah, um, it's not 65% total. But I think it's useful to sort of look at what our our ranks were last year in the various parts of the game. And we can talk mm-hmm. about sort of how it's going to look last year. So if you look at UGA's offensive radar, which is sort of like is a handy chart of how to what's what the offense did last year what you can see is that basically last year we were towards the top of the pack within the top five in every efficiency rank and then pretty much every rushing rank the only rushing rank that was not was down was stuff rate which was basically like we got stuffed behind the line of scrimmage too much um we like to run slow developing draw plays we also like to run pitch outs um so those get stuffed but so and even that was like you know middle of the pack in the 40s so that's not that worrisome but it's sort of if you look at our radar from last year it tells you that we ran the hell out of the ball right success rate Mm -hmm. standard down success rate pass down success rate um average yards first down average distance third down all of those were in the top five or ten and like uh success rate um, plus standard downs uh, success rate and pass down success rate i think we're all first um or like in the top three it's in Um, the top five at least yeah yeah so i mean this is a team that obviously and that's it's not like crazy that this uh is the fact that you know that this is the case because you had nick chubb um and sonny michelle on the team but this is a team that just basically made its bones on just straight up running the damn ball so you know our average passing s&p plus was actually quite high it was in the top 10 but our um yards for yards per completion was also tap high but our completion rate and our adjusted sack rate was actually pretty bad um yeah. in, in the actual passing cord quadrant of the radar so you know this was a team last year that when we did want to pass we did decently well about it but when we had to pass deep we took a lot of sacks because we didn't pass that long and because you know we had some problems with interior rush protection last year anyway so our sack rate was kind of like below middle of the pack in the 70s so we could throw but maybe we weren't the most efficient throwing team you can see in our explosiveness um, our isopp plus overall and our 10 yards rush per game overall was in the top five 30 yard uh plays per game was in the top 
let's see, looks like 20. And then the only thing we didn't do well uh, in explosiveness was 20 yard passes per game. So that's sort of like if you watched UGA season last year, that sort of gels up pretty nicely with what the stats sort of tell the same story that what we saw on the field, right? This is a team that ran mostly. Generally speaking, when we wanted to run or when we wanted to throw, we could throw. We didn't throw it deep. And when we did throw deep, we had probably less success because our team just wasn't built for it, right? And Mm so I'm interested in just sort of talking about based on those numbers and based on that projection of sixth. So how do we get there? Right? Because last year we ended in the, uh, at the end of the year, our overall, if we were third overall often, um, final S P place, S and P plus rank was third offensive rank was 14. Our defensive rank is 11. So, you know, I, I don't want to sort of like scoop all of Bill Connolly's, um, talking with here. So just, you know, my question is, well, I think you have you have this written down, and I just want to bring this up. You have you have this thing about marginal efficiency. Do you want to go into that and kind of? I think this is a good kind of way to talk yeah. about. So, how do we get from the thirteenth rank to the seventh rank? And I think you're right. Marginal efficiency is something that we can look at. So, do you want to explain that? So, marginal efficiency is the difference between a player's success rate, which is to, which is to say, how often do they get? Do they have a successful play? Yeah. Right, so. How often do they they connect? How often do they actually get positive yardage? Right. Um, and how you know are, are they getting five to six yard gains if they're a wide receiver? Mm-hmm. Are they getting three to four yard gains if they're a if they're running it? And so it's a difference between a player's success rate uh, or success rate allowed if they're a defender, and then uh, the expected success rate of each play based on their down, the distance, and the yard line. So basically, if it's first and ten in the first quarter. You know, you're on the your 25. The expected, you know, what you're expected to get is three to four yards, right? Mm-hmm. So the marginal efficiency is so is how high above that you are, right? So if you're, you know, second and six uh, from your own 30, the the expected like production from a wide receiver is not that much. It's like five or six, right? And so marginal efficiency is how high over what we would expect you to do do you do in terms of efficiency how how much how reliably do you get over that mark so that kind of leads us into what you were talking about earlier which is there's a specific there's a specific player on this team who is really really good at that terry godwin and so terry godwin last year was um incredibly efficient so what we ended up seeing was he caught the ball for 711 yards and ended up having almost a positive 20 percent differential in his marginal efficiency and so what we expected based on what we saw was 20 percent more uh, every time he caught the ball. And so that's something you 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 kind of touched on a little bit was um, our explosiveness. So every time we went for a deep ball didn't necessarily happen, but when it did, it happened big. Those deep balls were getting caught and that's that's it. And they were typically going to Terry Godwin. Yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think with efficiency, it's also just like if you got Terry Godwin the ball, like good things happen. So yeah, yeah. and that that's again, it sounds kind of asinine, but like we can actually measure that. And so he is like sort of the epitome of the reliable receiver. You know what I mean? And that's not that's not a backhanded compliment. He he genuinely like if you throw the ball at him, th- good things are going to happen. It's very yeah. rare that carry you know Terry Godwin was going to catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage and only get one yard. That's yeah. very rare. Yeah. Um, and I think on the flip side, you know, also I think one of the ways we get there, and this is going to kind of key into what we're going to talk about with the passing game here in a second. But so we actually have some interesting players in terms of marginal explosiveness. Um, Terry Godwin is 0.53 over his expected explosiveness. McCole Hardman is 0.38 over his marginal explosiveness. Riley Ridley didn't have actually enough catches to show the full length of, uh, of, of info, you know, to actually calculate the stat. But, you know, based on what we know about Riley Ridley, he is sort of a big play threat. Demetrius Robertson, we actually don't have the marginal stats on him right now, or I couldn't find him because he went to Cal last year. But he is a guy who's, did you find him? Yeah, I, I did actually find the marginal stats. They're they're very bad, and so the whole point 
of not including those stats in in our uh, our sheet here was just a it was a different team. He he was the only weapon Cal had essentially, and he was getting the right. ball so often. Um, right. he was expected to do rate. a lot more. Yeah, yeah, his, it's like usage rate in basketball. Like if you take the ball down the floor every time, and you're always the one shooting and like you know making the pivotal pass in basketball, you're yeah. not going to be you're not going to be very efficient. And in that same way, Demetrius Robinson caught 50 passes his freshman year. You know, in a Cal offense, that's that's a lot. Yeah, um, that's huge. So, you know, but I do think this sort of all, we're sort of just homing around this point, which is the difference in how good this team can be and how good this offense can be in particular is the rise of the passing game. The the rankings bump is justified by the fact that even though you're losing a lot, you're bringing back a lot on the running back core. And then on top of that, you know, sort of the world that we live in in football the way it is now, being having an effective passive game passing game is just very is a very very like valuable commodity mm-hmm. um there are a lot of well there aren't a lot of teams left but you know there have been a lot of teams in the past few years who have been sort of the traditional smouth smash mouth uh football teams who have stopped doing that because they've just seen that sometimes it doesn't work and yeah having having that passing game in the world that we play college, college football in right now is, is going to be something that'll be a boon for us, I think. And I also just think that, and this is not not necessarily a stats thing. Um, well, it is a stats thing, actually. But just the expected improvement that, we, that we're looking to see from Jake Fromm, I don't think really people understand what, like, a... If we make a marginal prediction of how much better Jake Fromm will be this year. So if we say he just he gets the average amount better between his freshman and sophomore year that, like, you know, every college quarterback gets... Mm-hmm. Um, if that happens, he, I don't think people understand how good he's going to be. Yeah. Jake Fromm, you know, he did not pass a lot last year, and he definitely doesn't have the usage numbers that some of these other uh, quarterbacks do in the league. But you know, when he did pass, he was he was amazing. He was one of the best. Be- uh, he was one I saw on the Pro Football Focus College account that uh, Jake Fromm was actually one of the better deep ball throwers in the nation last oh, yeah. year. And you know he was one of the better, most of he was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the nation. He can run a little bit if he if you don't pay attention to him. So I really think that what S and P Plus is managing to capture, which is something that maybe we even as Georgia fans take for granted, is that you know Jake Fromm was asked to play the role of a game manager last year. I don't think Jake Fromm is a game manager. Mm. If you if you were to ask me, is Jake Fromm closer to? AJ McCarron or Drew Brees, I would say he's closer to Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to have an NFL, you know, Hall of Fame career or whatever and lead a franchise for 25 years, but I do think that he is just he is he is a player who we actually undervalue. You know, I think so all, too. For yeah. all of the names that were on that 2017 Georgia team, Jake Fromm was basically the reason that we were there. Yeah. I mean, just full stop. If you had told us, you know, coming out of the App State game last year that we were going to go to the national championship we would have asked where you would bought what you were smoking because <laughs> because i mean you you cannot expect a a freshman player to not just be that efficient but to be that explosive and to yeah. make very few mistakes and to just look that poised the whole year and i and i think that um i'm actually heartened by the fact that bill Connolly's numbers see what we see kind of eye test wise which is that if Jake Fromm takes just a small step forward, he's already so good that he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the nation next this this coming year. And that is what, yeah, that is with a lot of good quarterbacks right now. There's a very good quarterback class in um, college football right now, and even with that, he could be the, he could be one of the best, like top two or three um, quarterbacks in the nation. You talk about him being undervalued a lot. And I wanted to say um, just one more thing is that you won't hear Jake Fromm talks in like. Heisman talks or anything like that, but that's that that's a red herring in a way because last year, while we're talking about marginal efficiency, efficiency, we can see um, Jake Fromm's was a positive seven point one percent, 
And every time he touched the ball, he was good for eight yards per attempt. So easily, he just got the job done. Like What you're trying to say and what I'm hearing is just that he was the guy you could slide to the position and he was going to get the job done. It wasn't going to be the sexiest thing. It wasn't going to be like Cam Newton flashy, but he was going to get the job done and you weren't going to have to worry about it. Like oh, yeah, and, and I think that, but I think we're going to transition from that. I yeah, think we're going to yeah, transition yeah. from he's going to get the job done to this guy is the guy you have to stop. And if you think about the number of weapons on this team, if you have to focus on stopping Jake Fromm, you're, you're boned as an offensive coordinator, as a defensive coordinator, Mm -hmm. because we haven't even talked about the run game this year, which honestly might not take that big of a step back. Even with the injury to Zamir white, we go four deep easily with four and five star players. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you know, I think you could see, sort of this Alabama model of running back develop where it's like, well, which one do they have out there now? And I think we're already going to see that this year, even without Zamir White. So I think, you know, sort of if you're taking the middle of the road, if you're taking the median projection for what this offense looks like, if things just congeal like they should, if everybody on the offense takes, you know, a two to 3% step forward, which I think is pretty conservative, Mm -hmm. then you're going to see an offense that's going to be one of the best in the nation. And that's totally, we haven't even said the words Demetrius Robertson in a positive fashion yet. No. But like on top of that, having the another team's best wide receiver on your team, it's just like it's 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 genuinely unfair. And like aside from Alabama, this is probably gonna be the most like talented offense in the SEC. Which of mm-hmm. course you always have to say aside from Alabama. So um <laughs> And that's not even to mention that the last piece of the equation is our tight ends. And we don't mention it much because you really don't see much tight end play from like last year, for instance. If you want to count all the weapons, we have all those wide receivers we just talked about who have an incredible marginal efficiency. We have all those running backs who three of them are already proven to be fantastic running backs. James Cook is supposed to be ungodly, and then we'll have Zamir White next year. And then we have five tight ends that are sitting around just twiddling their thumbs, all four and five star recruits at one point or another. So it's it's nuts. It's really nuts. I mean, and we haven't even said the words Elijah Holyfield. No, we haven't. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus God, Elijah Holyfield. They just tweeted a picture of him from practice. That guy is just like... He's so big. Well, he's not just big. Like, everybody adds mass. He's uh-huh. like cut. He's actually cut. He's like yeah. bodybuilder cut. Ugh, gosh. I'm so excited about this offense, man. I think we are going to scale. I genuinely think that we're going to score 35, 40 points a game. I really do. I think this is an offense that is going to light it up. We're going to run because we're Georgia and that's what we do. We run. But I think we're going we're gonna to score a lot of points. And of if course. we lose, it's because... Our young defense holds us back. That's fine. But like we were scoring that many points last year in every game. Remember like the first seven games we scored anywhere from 20 to 40 points every game. And so if we can do that last year with an offense that's still trying to find their identity, absolutely we can do that this year. It's going to be just fine. Yeah. I mean, I think the offensive line, we we talked about the offensive line earlier, but I do think that the offensive line is going to be the strength of the team. I mean, this offensive line goes literally 12 deep with four and five stars. This offensive line is going to have eight to nine dudes who can, who have a legitimate shot of getting drafted not mm-hmm. are going to get drafted but have a legitimate non you know non-zero shot of playing in the nfl and so that's just that's a very exciting prospect to me i mean if you think about you know i know that you're sort of more of a late in life georgia fan than i am and i haven't even been around very much but yeah uh relative to what a lot of people have done but if you think about where this offensive line was in the rick era, where we were recruiting these 289 pound guys and you know just we would have a day every year where the offensive line just crapped its pants and we lo- we'd lose and yeah. we might lose games this year, but it's not going to be because the offensive line craps its pants. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, because I, I feel like, and this could just be a hot take, but it feels like the offensive game plan has changed. The offensive game plan now is a lot more technical than it used to be. Um, in addition to being deeper now as well, like for instance, like Jamari Sawyer, who has been putting in reps on, you know, on, 
all sorts of positions is just being used as a backup five-star recruit Jamari Sawyer who's an absolute just a beast of a man he's not even a backup like he's probably third string right now yeah exactly it's nuts like we have pieces like that now and so it's way more technical we have you've got you've got more talent you've got Justin Schaefer who was like the best offensive line prospect that we'd gotten to commit to us until we got Jamari Sawyer to commit to us who's Mm -hmm. not even being talked about right now yeah and players like Kendall Baker, who knows the the whole playbook, is just using as a just a, a, a extra piece because he knows all the positions. And he's a right. he's a good defensive player, uh, offensive line. You know, excuse me. He could just slot into anywhere because we have so much more talent right in front of him as well. And so it's just it's silly. Yeah, I mean, I we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get here in a minute, but uh, I I want to review the defense and then I want to talk about. Actually, uh, I didn't talk to you about this beforehand, but I actually have an idea for what I want to talk about at the end of the play or at okay. the end of this. Um, predictions but then also i have one other thing right okay so let's talk about defense um so if we look at the uga's 2017 defensive radar what you'll see is that uh this is a highly efficient efficient defense this defense had it was a very very good run defense which uh roquan smith hearts 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 (laughs) and flowers all over my eyes like uh i just become a snapchat filter anytime i talk about roquan smith (laughs) Um, so all almost all the way through you can leave that in although almost all the way through efficiency and rushing one of the better uh, defensive in the nation um not a great stuff rate this was not a team that just had a dominant defensive line and i don't expect it to be this year but a very high rushing smp plus which means that you just could not you could not efficiently rush on this team you were not just going to get six and seven yard chunks although we did get lit up in the rose bowl but whatever um (laughs) You know, a very good adjusted line yard score, which is just basically like who's winning the battle in the trenches. And we can get into adjusted line yards because it is one of our fetish stats, but we'll we'll, we'll talk about that going forward more. Um, pretty good opportunity rate. You know, the explosiveness was also very good. We did not allow a lot of long passes. We did not allow a lot, a lot of long 30-yard plays, etc. We did not allow a good ISO PPP plus rate. Now, the two things that we got to, that were sort of the... Achilles heel at the defense last year, which I think um, if you can say what you want about this defense, but it did have some weaknesses, was adjusted sack rate and stuff rate. So basically, we were not hitting people behind the line of scrimmage. No, no, um, no. And, you know, some of that is because, frankly, Trenton Thompson had a disappointing year, who a former five-star recruit who, for some reason, went pro and then didn't get, didn't get drafted, which, you know, let the players come back if they don't get drafted, but whatever. <laughs> um, I don't want to have that. I don't want to litigate that right now. But, you know, this this defensive line, for, for all of the success of the interior linebackers and for all of the name buzz around the, the outside linebackers in this, in this uh, system, you know, the defensive line and the outside linebackers did not play to the level of the rest of the defense. I think we can say that affirmatively. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good players on our defensive line right now you know mikhail carter is very good um uh, julian rochester is very good jay hayes the transfer is very good it looks like that we're going to have some death but i really think you know we're, we're going we're predicting to go from seventh down to 13th this year in defense and i really think that's what it comes down to yeah i think deandre banker and jr reed richard lecount whoever is the third uh corner the second quarterback in the star i'm not as concerned about because you have those three sort of core in your secondary back I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, the inside linebacker play, but I guess my biggest, my biggest, my biggest concern about this defense is, you know, what does front seven look like in the first few weeks? Mm-hmm. Because so much of the front seven stuff is just about fit and going to the right gap and playing the right leverage and the right technique. And it's all very technical and you can make a really good play, but be out of position and allow a 25 yard run. And that's my concern playing South Carolina and honestly playing Missouri is how does this front seven hold up against two very good pass um you know, two very good pass offenses. And, you know, normally I know you ask that question about the the secondary, but I think, you know, 
how the front seven looks in terms of getting pressure, in terms of you know putting making the quarterback uncomfortable. I think that is almost as important as what the secondary does. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be to some extent what defines this season is, you know, do we see a step forward from Julian Rochester? Is he in good shape? Does he play hard every play? Is Jay Hayes everything he's cracked up to be? Which yeah. based on advanced stats says that. You know, if you look at like the pro football, the college football study hall, all that, if you look at their advanced st- stats stuff on the play-by-play basis, like Jay Hayes was better than Trenton Thompson most of the year. Does mm-hmm. he look like that? So I- I'm interested to see, you know, I, sack rate's not anything, everything, but, you know, does DeAndre Walker, Walker uh, does Brandon, Brandon Cox, do those dudes have, you know, 10 to 15 sacks? Yeah. Does, does either one of them do that? And so I'm, I'm just, I'm just interested to see what the front seven looks like going forward do they just look competent so much of the front seven play to me is competence like are they in the right place and you know you when you get a roquan smith guy and who makes every tackle and just ever makes the the uh never ever ever makes the wrong decision that's one thing but you know if you can have a a replacement level front seven at this level of talent which is to say, if you took a random assortment of five and four stars in the front seven and you put them together and you made a front seven, are you are we going to get the average result from that? I think mm-hmm. a lot of the season is going to come down to that. Do we get an average result from the talent we have? I think a lot of what we saw last year was, you know, in our playbook, we waited. We didn't necessarily react to every play, but we waited for the ball to come to us. Well, I mean, we in could, a way, we could, you know, we could afford to. I mean, yeah, exactly. We weren't always doing that. We were we were pretty creative with with blitzes and such, and mm-hmm. that's part of why our sack rate was so low because we just didn't have an offensive line or an outside linebacker who could just get after the quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we had Davin Velody and Lorenzo Carner who were very very good players, both playing in the NFL, but they were definitely not like they did not have like an all American year. Neither one of them. No, no, and it wasn't them, those guys that was that were making like the tackles for loss and sacks. It was J.R. Yeah, Reed was, uh, in safety. Yeah, J.R. Reed and Roquan Smith. But I mean. To your point, that is that is pretty true. But the whole thing is like this year. My question is, you know, last year we had we could afford to react because you have yeah. when you have Roquan Smith, you can take risks, you can let things come to you, you can basically play it however you want to because he's just going to clean crap up. Mm-hmm. So the question is, from a both philosophical standpoint, are we blitzing more? Are we staying back more? But also just from a play in and play out standpoint, what happens when someone blows an assignment? You know what I mean? Because last year, what happened was Roquan Smith made a tackle down the field. And he might not have gotten the snuff to play out and hit it behind the line, but he definitely was going to make a tackle down the field shorter than you thought he was. And so that's that's my – it's not even my worry. It's just like that. as that goes, I think so goes the season. Yeah, that's what we're looking for is is what happens to that front seven. What do they do? What do those plays look like? Where does the talent lie? We want it to be spread across. Like you said, we want it to be, you know, an average kind of consensus that everyone's on the same playing level. But uh, only time will tell so that kicks us through the defense we've talked about you know what our projections are we've talked about what we think about the projections we talked about where we're coming from this year to the next uh there's two things i want to do okay uh i know we want to talk about key players for this next year so let's start with that so who who is you who to you sounds like the the pivot player you know what i mean and and and, in political data analysis there's this idea of like a pivot state or a pivot district which is like what is the district that causes you to lose or get the majority slash lose or get the president? Yeah. So not necessarily you're the most important player, but who is the player on which their performance the most is hinging? I have a couple, but my okay. biggest one, I know we've talked, we're both really excited about the offense, which is saying something because we are both big fans of the defense, but I'm like super excited about the offense. I'm excited to see how we use all these tools, but it's not necessarily the weapons that I'm excited about because what are the bullets if you can't fire the gun? All that to say, my 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 
player to watch, the one I think is the linchpin is Isaiah Wilson. I think that that right there, making sure that he's taking care of Jake Fromm, making sure he's safe. Um, and then there's other players right there too, but I think Isaiah Wilson's going to be the big one that is making sure that he's going to be all right. Yeah, and I, I think that's actually a good answer. That's not the answer that I would, I've never even thought of that, but you're yeah. right. I mean, we're going to have to win some games by outscoring people. Yeah. And the only way you do that is if you feel, if you feel comfortable, you know. If he's safe, yeah. Yeah. If you feel, if he feels comfortable and he is playing, you know, at the best and the, the highest level he can play, uh, we're going to score a lot of points. Uh, that's yeah. a very good answer. I think my pivot player, and then we just talked about the front seven a lot. Yeah. But, you know, for all of the, my interest in the front seven, I think that there's a lot of talent there. And I think there's a lot of talent and a good amount of experience in the front seven. So I think that, you know, the question is just as an aggregate, how well do they do? As, as a whole, how do they do? Yeah. But the key person I'm interested to think about this year, and I know a little bit of this is, um, a little bit of this is sort of like shiny new objects. <laughs> um, syndrome because this is a freshman uh, and I always kind of feel like it's a cop out because freshmen mm-hmm. usually are bad but I think to <laughs> me I think to me the pivot player is Tyson Campbell and let me let me let me explain why if Tyson Campbell is your average freshman quarterback cornerback which is to say you know maybe he's very athletic and maybe he can like make some mistakes and make up for them but he makes a lot of mistakes because cornerback is a very hard position to play if that's what he is we're going to have a good secondary Right? Yeah. Because there's enough guys around him and there's enough talent there that even if he's not that great and ends up playing the third cornerback role or he's the dime or the star or whatever, even if that happens, we should still be okay. To me, he's the pivot player because his ceiling is such that if he is as good as he can be, if he, if he plays at 100% of his ability and he has the best possible year that he can, this goes from being like, this is a guy that, or this is a this is a secondary that is good but not great. To this is an elite secondary, mm-hmm. and that 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 is to me sort of like if you get out of the realm of will we win the SEC East, which is not a given, or will we go to the SEC Championship, which is not a given. If you get out of, out of that realm and you just ask what has to happen for this team to win the national championship, to me, I think the answer is Tyson Campbell has to be good. Not mm-hmm. just like freshman good, but just a good. He's got to be good. Yeah. Yeah. And if he is that, I, li- I genuinely think that's when we start talking about like, what can this team do? Because everywhere else, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot, a lot of talent. There's a lot of options. And um, there are other options at the cornerback as well. But his ceiling is so high at a position that one person can change the tenor of a team so much that I feel like that if we hit the tail of his predictive, right? You know, if you think about him, like, uh, his, if you think about all the seasons that Tyson Candle could have, Campbell could have on a bell curve, where most of them are just average, and then there's a bad tail and a good tail. If you think about the good tail, the good curve of his his you know results next year, if he is in that upper quartile of like what he can possibly do, like I don't, what this team can do is win the national championship. Like yeah. I, I do genuinely mean that because the two te- the two games I am most worried about this year, I'm worried about them because they have excellent passing games. If we if because like last year, what would happen is the, they just didn't throw to the side of the field that DeAndre Baker was on, mm-hmm. right? They never ever did. And so my thing is like, well, if you can't throw to that side of the field, and you got Tyson Campbell on the other side, or you know, actually Mark Webb kind of fits what I'm talking about too. Uh, if you can't throw to the other side either, suddenly this goes from being a defense where it's like, well, you know, they're gonna have some growing pains to defense that's like as good as last year. And to me, that's that's gonna be the pivot for the the whole year. Um, I want to do predictions, but I kind of want to do a different format if you don't mind. I know I'm springing this on you, but I, I, I want to see, I want to hear what you have to say about this. Okay. Okay. So what I want to do for predictions today is I want to talk about 
uh, what is the ceiling, what is the floor, and what is our actual prediction. So I want to give our listeners sort of a range of possible outcomes that we think we see. Um, and I want to see sort of where we think this year is going to fall in the range. And I think this is instructive because, frankly, there's kind of two layers to preseason predictions. There's um, this is what I think is going to happen because I'm being realistic, right? And because I'm trying to look at each individual game and, and handicap the games. And then there's the, the aspect of the of the uh, I just think we'll win this many games if I'm not looking at individual games because we're this good. So I think giving these three numbers is sort of helps us uh, calibrate what we both think about this team. So And I'll start just because we're doing this for the first time and I didn't tell you we were going to do it. So um, so I think the worst case scenario for this team is 9-3. and three. I think you can easily lose Auburn and then two out of three from South Carolina, Missouri, LSU. I think that's, that, is, that is probably the bottom of what we do. Um, I, I could see an argument for eight and four, but I really do think nine and three is, is the, is the bottom rung of what we could do. I think that the, the, the high end for this team, the floor, the ceiling for this team is the national championship. I genuinely do. I think that we're, we're looking at a five game swing in between those. Right. And I think that my actual prediction is going to remain unchanged from last week. I really think 11, this team goes 11 and one and goes to the SEC championship. Now there's always a possibility that we go to 11 and one and we get hurt by some tiebreakers or whatever, or we have, there's another surprise in the East, but I really do think this team goes 11 and one. I think that we will lose one of Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt or Missouri, South Carolina or Auburn. I think we go two and one in that stretch. Um, I think it's very possible that we beat South Carolina closely, we beat Missouri closely, and then we lose to Auburn, which I think is sort of like, if I'm trying to take my fan anxiety out of it, I think that's the most likely scenario. And this is why I wanted to do, give the ceiling and the floor, because there's part of me that wants to predict 10 and 2, because I just feel like we're going to lose one of the South Carolina or Missouri games. But I think if I just look at the pure numbers, that's what they tell me, right? Because we have about, you know, we um, our expected margin against South Carolina based on S and P plus is a 12 point margin. So it's about a two touchdown favorites where it's 76% probability to win. That's a game you should win, but you can lose, right? We're, um, a 10, 10 point favorites, 10 point projected margin over Missouri at 73% chance that we'd win. Right. So you feel like, you know, between those two, if you add them up, like you get 1.4 wins, one and a half wins, which means like you're probably going to lose one of those. Right. But I do think that like we're favored in both of them. But then if you look at, uh, our, the Auburn game, we have a 55% chance of win. It's predicted to be a 2.2 point, uh, 2.2 win for us, 2.2 point win for us. So I, I just feel like we're losing one of those three games. And based on the way the rest of the SEC East is going to work out, even if South Carolina has a very strong year, I think it's very possible that we could lose to them and still win the SEC East. And so that's kind of what I'm leaning towards is lose to South Carolina in week two, win the SEC East, um, and then just see what happens, see where the chips fall from there. And I think, you know, all the stuff I talked about Tyson Campbell in the secondary, if, if we get to the SEC championship, that's where that, that sort of like pivot starts to become more important. Because if we get to the SEC championship, we're going to be playing a team almost certainly, if we, we're almost certainly going to be playing a team that has one of the best wide receiver cores in the nation, right? Because Alabama, that's Alabama. And then, you know, Auburn's is no joke, but then if we play Oklahoma in the playoffs, if we were to go to the playoffs, or if we played Ohio State in the playoffs, if we went, if we went to the playoffs, or Clemson, all three of those teams, or all five of those teams, have excellent, excellent passing games. And so I'm just really interested to see, and that's why I made that my pivot, but that's also kind of what I think the ceiling is. So I mean, I, I really want to know what you have to say about this. 
three predictions then. Um, three predictions then. Bottom, middle, and top. So worst case scenario, I think, is uh, we just had too many losses from last year to this year in terms of our defense. And, you know, our secondary just doesn't get it together. We get confused by teams with dual threat quarterbacks, which there are a lot of this year. You know, early in the season, we get to play Jake Bentley at USC. We have Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State, Drew Locke, Missouri. Joe Burrow is that Ohio State transfer who arguably could have started at Ohio State if, you know, he wasn't behind plenty of other fantastic QB talents. And then, of course, we have Jarrett Stidham. And so that the list just goes on. It's kind of ridiculous. And there's no telling. I don't think Florida's going to be any good this year, but Dan Mullen is known for his quarterback development. So we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens there. I know Tennessee knows how we play, but Tennessee is probably still a little bit garbage. Uh, but Jeremy Pruitt will eventually, in a few years, if he keeps a job, if Tennessee doesn't run him off, he will be some sort of a threat. But bottom case scenario, you know, worst case scenario is that we, we lose a few of those games. We don't go to the SEC championship. You know, we just don't get it together. We can't meet that same level of success we did last year. You know, the pieces just don't fit the same way. Uh, most likely scenario, the most average of scenarios, I think we will lose a game that doesn't end up being as consequential as it has to be because it's in the early season uh, to someone in the East, but then just through way of conditioning and, um, you know, other teams tiring out before we do, we end up still going to the SEC championship and most likely playing Alabama is what it's going to look like. Unless they lose to an Auburn again that has a, a lot of really great offensive returning production. So at that point, I think it's kind of a 50-50 situation, depending on how much is going on at Alabama, if they lose anybody um, in their secondary, if they get beat by Auburn. Because I think, again, if we go to the SEC championship and have to play Auburn again, I think it's going to look pretty similar to the way it did last year. You know, we, we can talk all day about the national championship and, and why it was lost and how it was lost, but I don't think that that same scenario with Alabama goes the same way again this year. And that is not me saying that we're going to win this year. Definitely, if we play Alabama, I'm just saying it's going to be a very different game with those two coaches and the way they played it. Best case scenario, I think Jake Fromm makes a Heisman run. You know, last year he had 24 touchdowns and like 2,500 yards passing and as a freshman. So I think this next year with all of these fantastic wide receivers, uh, running backs that can receive uh, and run the ball really well, whole stable of tight ends and Justin Fields, I think that there's a really great chance that he makes a Heisman run if he uh, comes back, you know, the sophomore quarterback we wanted to be and he leads this team. If he has anywhere in the realm of like, middle 30s touchdowns, 3,000 yards passing plus, and still you know, less than eight interceptions, I think that he makes a really great Heisman run. And we do end up going... We win the SEC championship. We into the college football playoffs. And I don't know what happens after that because there, there are a lot of really great teams that I really haven't done a lot of research on that uh, are looking for a college football playoff run as well in the top 10 right now that, that have a reasonable argument for winning the national championship. But I don't think Alabama goes and wins it again. And I don't even think that's in my top scenario that they go and win it again two in a row. That's just best case scenario. We go back to that national championship. It's against somebody new. It's not against Alabama. We do really well. I don't know. I mean, I definitely think the ceiling could see us going to the national championship, though, to, to kind of meet your point as well. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please feel free to give us a review, a rating on iTunes. Those go a really long way in helping us get to more listeners. Uh, if, you know, if you enjoyed it, you can share it with a friend. Make sure you share us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. We're on all of those. If you just search Chapel Bell Curve. We've had a few questions come in that came in a little bit late, uh, unfortunately, for this episode to be recorded into. But if you have any questions that you want us to tackle that are stats-based or just in general, then let us know and we will bring those up on the next episode of Chapel Bell Curve. You can either tweet those or 
you know, directly message those on Instagram or you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We would really appreciate that. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we really love doing this and we're just really excited for the new season to start again. Uh, as of me releasing this, because I'm recording this bit right before we release it, we are only eight days from Saturday in Athens. So I'm really excited to say that uh, until next time, you can catch us in the Classic City against Austin P. And until then, go, go dogs. dogs.